Welcome to No War Stories, a podcast about mental health and addiction that hopefully doesn't suck. My name is Jules, and I am your host, and with me today is my co-host, Cole. Cole, how are you doing, man? I am good. Thank you very much, Jules. It's good to be here. So, what's No War Stories mean, Cole? What, what, indeed, what does it mean? I would suggest that it means we won't ramble on about our tattered past, if you will. That's good. That's a pretty good one, yeah. Uh, I, I chose the title No War Stories as a bit of a tongue-in-cheek. Uh, as many of you who are familiar with uh, addiction and recovery and that whole scene, you might have heard this, the phrase No War Stories, which is a phrase used in recovery circles to basically kind of uh, scold people into not trying to glamorize or glorify their using experience. And uh, I kind of so, thought, like, the, the idea would be that we create a show that is actually a lot of war stories. <laughs> Some, sometimes the war stories are referred to as a drunkalogue, a drugalogue, sure. or glory talk. Okay. I've never heard glory talk before. That, that sounds pretty corny, but yeah, but yeah no, I, I dig it. And, and I, think, uh, I think there is something to that expression, and we will get into our own personal ideologies and experiences and opinions on recovery. But uh, I, I think the phrase is actually uh, not super useful, but I get where it's coming from. Uh, basically, I, I feel like we should be able to tell these kinds of stories uh, no matter what stage of recovery we're in, and they have benefit. Uh, and and as long as you're not, um, as long as you're being real, I don't think there's any risk of us glamorizing our life stories, if you will. Yes, um, over glamorization or the big pitfall, which is just it gets very boring to hear. That too, yeah. That's a that's a good point. So, anyways, that's all to say that this sh- this show is gonna going to be about mental health, addiction, and recovery. But it's also going to be about what life is like before recovery, what life is like during early recovery, what perhaps even a harm reduction approach looks like to recovery, and that's kind of the the show that I want to do. Also, this is. Largely, a, a, an op, quite obviously, a personal project for me. I, just like many of you, uh, really lost the plot socially during the last few years. And uh, I feel so grateful to have my brother Cole with me to uh, work on this project and to develop something that is at least good for me, if not for the listener if there is even one does that there, make sense cole it does it does and and at the very least we we're listening to each other and this podcast i think we discovered in an earlier attempt at it is one third <laughs> one third therapy first one, take one third entertainment and one third book reviews <laughs> Media stuff we don't yeah. know. we don't know. I mean, that kind of falls falls into entertainment as well, but um, something to to wet our intellectual appetites. And in this debut episode of No War Stories, 
uh, we will be getting into our first book review, which is the book All Day is a Long Time by David Sanchez. And we will be getting to that shortly. Cole. Yes. What drugs have you done in the past 24 hours? There's caffeine and Thinabut, prescription antidepressant, Wellbutrin, and the common over-the-counter analgesic ibuprofen. And that's it. Okay, okay. Nice. Should I, should How about I ask? the last three days? Uh, absolutely the same. Oh, I'm sorry. I smoked some, some uh, pot marijuana. Uh, last uh, in the last three days, uh, night before last. Huh. Where do you live, Cole? I live in Portland, Oregon. Holy shit! Are you okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are you safe right now? Where are you? No, I, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, actually, I love Portland. It's Much fun- respect. It's funny you say that because I, I'm actually in the Central Library, which is. In a lot of ways, is is uh, more dangerous than jail. If you've ever, yeah. <laughs> if you've ever hung sure. out here, uh, I've actually oh, seen. Yeah. I've seen uh, one of the. They they used to. They now have private security here, but they used to have these sheriff that would. Uh, I don't know exactly what wing of the sheriff's department they were, but they were like bona fide sheriffs that would walk around. And I saw one get punched one day. Holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> uh, so actual but I, like Multnomah County sheriff. Yeah, yeah, like a full. Cop. Yeah, yeah. But now they just have, uh, like, private security. So um, I haven't seen any of them get punched, and it's quieted down after COVID, I think, strangely enough. The library is pretty calm these days. Really? The the homeless <laughs> are kind of camping out somewhere else? I guess. It's not that – it's just not as rowdy. Like, there, I recall – I mean, a few years ago, and I, I don't spend a whole, like, a lot of time here, but I just every time I'm here um, using the internet, like, a few years ago, there was always, like, ambulances were pulling up, and you'd always hear screaming in, like, another part of the library, and then, of course, you know, there was that time when it, somebody punched the sheriff. I just happened to be checking out books, and it was right there in that, in the lobby. Anyway, it's, uh, downtown, yes. downtown Portland is a colorful place, as always. Portland is like a fentanyl city, pretty much, right? Yes, yes. And there is a block that we nicknamed Blue Block, um, and it's like two blocks from where I live. And for a few months, that was where everyone went to buy, sell, and just hang out. Uh, but buy, sell, buy and sell pills. Why do they call it Blue Block? What is what's blue about? Blue is the color commonly associated with fentanyl pills, which are smoked, and the slang on the streets is blues. Um, at least here, right, right. Because I think uh, back in the day, bef- before fentanyl was really kind of so so ubiquitous, it was uh, could, you could get oxycodone pills, like actual prescription pills. Then they started. What do they start? They start pressing the pills with fentanyl, but they make it look like they're pharmaceuticals. That is it exactly, and why does that happen? Like, why, and why and they, and like, if you look why don't up, they just sell a powder. There is powder. It's called, and the slang here. I've, I actually haven't seen the powder, but it's called Fetty Fetty powder. So you'll hear, hear yeah, yeah, you'll hear people like, "Hey, Fetty, I got Fetty powder." Yeah, I, it's all the same though to me. It seems kind of funny because they're all just like crushing them up and putting them on foils or put them yeah. in shots, or whatever. Like, it seems kind of like why why do they need an extra step? <laughs> 
Right. I mean, yeah, I don't know. As you you know, um, it's so ubiquitous that I have found, uh, let's see, now it's nine of the blue pills just in my travels on the sidewalk. I found seven in a Tic Tac container and then uh, one, actually 10 maybe altogether. Anyway, I traded. You're just like finding little treats all over the city, right? Well, I guess, you know, junkies aren't exactly... Famous for their sense of uh, keeping track of <laughs> things, right? Right. Yeah, I, I really, uh, I'll say like this is a as a person who's primarily been a, an opiate person uh, who who also really loves weed. Uh, yes, fentanyl just really does not do anything for me. Even when it, even when I'm like in a self destructive state, it just the high is just like dysphoric to me last my last real like major addictive relapse was about nine months ago there is still some real heroin out there that you can get but i I really kind of made it i went i was in san francisco and i went down to the tl to cop and i like really made an effort to only buy uh you know black black tar heroin i still got hit i got when i and I, i felt like i got like date raped it was (laughs) <laughs> truly a bizarre like terrible experience and I don't, i'm not i don't mean to like make light of it but it felt like i was like drugged in like the biblical sense or whatever <laughs> right i i fucking i mean i i i got lost in the the tl which is funny because it's like three blocks three square four square blocks or whatever but i like got lost and i couldn't like it was just like this really just scary i felt like a child or i I couldn't even make my way down a a block and i I started stumbling i ended up walking straight into a telephone pole and just like absolutely just destroying my my front tooth i can still hear the the crunch you know got my shit stolen somehow amazingly i i managed to like crawl my way out and had my phone uh, and like a couple of some credit cards not all of them are stolen but it's just i just it's a fucking disaster and, and we'll get into that more in the show so 72 hours it sounds like you're doing pretty good man like uh i'll talk about myself really quick let's hear uh, about let's hear about yourself what have you done in the last sure time? yeah 72 hours because we can really kind of spiral out into the years yeah 72 hours uh really kind of mainly kratom cannabis caffeine uh also finnabut cole and i are big finnabut fans aren't we Cole, actually, you kind of turned me on to this stuff. But uh, if you don't know, Phenobut is is what some people might call a, a nootropic uh, or a smart drug or whatever. But in reality, it's just a this Russian-made substance uh, that never really caught on over here. And uh, so, like, I don't think drug manufacturers make it. It's not like a prescription drug. But it was in Russia, and it was developed during the space age for their astronauts as a, an anxiety aid uh, and performance enhancer. And it, it has, it's honestly like, it's one of my, my all-time favorite substances out there, I'll be honest. Uh, but we'll maybe we'll do a show on that later. We'll do something else because there's a lot to talk about with the, a lot of these kind of nootropic drugs and their relation to, to recovery and mental health. I'm going to keep focusing on here on this uh this timeline here just for the sake of, of sanity but uh structure. <laughs> structure yeah so yeah uh cannabis and kratom are really kind of my main things kratom is uh is like an opioid replacement therapy is kind of how i i view it um and and if you, if you don't know about kratom or you're interested we'll definitely talk more about it on the show because i think it has a lot of 
really amazing applications for uh, addiction recovery and mental health. And I will say this, um, when I discovered Kratom about 10 years ago, that was really the time in my life when I I really view it as like a, a significant shift, how I'm able to manage my use of opiates. But let's see, 72 hours, pretty much the same, I would say, 24, 72. You know, I've been dabbling in some uh, L-theanine lately, you know, some stuff like that, but pretty mild stuff. That's an, um, is that an amino acid? Yeah, it's like a, yes, yeah, it's like a supplement amino acid, yeah. It works really well, actually, as a, as a calming agent, especially with when you mix it with caffeine. That's a very common kind of stack, if you yes. will. People call them like nootropic stacks, and they'll... Yes. You, you can even, I'll buy them too from Lift Mode, you know, uh, caffeine and L-theanine. Pretty good. Nothing too too crazy. I am prescribed Adderall as well, but uh, we are, as of January 31st, there's like a national Adderall shortage. <laughs> Is and, that true? Uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Totally true. Oh my God. Kind of kind of fucked up and crazy. But uh, yeah, there's just like, because of COVID and supply issues and then coupled with the rise in, in telehealth and people being able to to get ADD, ADHD diagnosis from yes. online, you know, without having to go. It's actually relatively affordable. I mean, that's how I got my diagnosis here. I've only done some Adderall in my time for sure. So I'm kind of a, I'm an opiate person. What What's kind of your, your drugs of choice? Oh, I was all about, in my heyday, I was all about, uh, Snorting methamphetamine and, and drinking. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And then and Got definitely it. like benzos. Oh my god. Xanax, Clonopin. Yeah. What, what were you so you're were you liking the, the mixing of the two or was it kind of just like one was taking care of the other kind of a thing? Like you're taking the Xanax to come down off the speed, taking the speed to come up off the benzos? Uh no, I mean initially I discovered the benzos to yeah, to cushion the the horrible come down from 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 speed but the crash yeah the crash but then i mean i i liked them all on their own and also you know in you know taking i mean like what I, last time i think i did meth i took a bar you know a zanny bar and swallowed about 30 cents worth of meth and that is just i feel i mean that makes me feel groovy cool for like 3 hours straight so you like to, so you like to eat the, the math you you like to eat the crystal yeah so you, so you took a a few points and then you just ate it with a bar that's that yeah. actually sounds pretty good I'm not gonna <laughs> not gonna lie but uh yeah like the point of the show is <laughs> not to necessarily glorify drugs but to be real about drugs I guess and 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 also and to I examine. guess that means sometimes it it means like being honest about our desires and our predilections. Also, you wanted to focus on like the pharmacology too. Yeah, that's a that's a big part of my interest in drugs is definitely the pharmacology. So we'll definitely talk about that. And I don't want to really talk out of my ass on that stuff. So I would rather, you know, bring on. We're gonna try to also bring on some guests and then do some more research backed long form episodes. Yes. This this one is kind of just a, an introduction, uh, let people know, you know, how we roll. The other night I had this dream I was drinking. Um, it was mushroom tea with ketamine in it. I know that's nonsense. I know that's nonsensical, uh, but that was just in my dream, like all dream stuff. It doesn't make sense. But that was just in oh, my man. dream. 
It sounds like the most awful tasting tea ever. <laughs> like the two most absolute wretched substances, like mushrooms and ketamine. Like imagine dirt with pa- pavement, <laughs> grass clippings with oh, some kind man. of industrial cl- cleaner. Involved. Right. I anyway, mean, so why why are you thinking ketamine and mushrooms? I, it was just in the dream, and I've only snorted ketamine once, like years and years ago, at a rave in New York. But um, ketamine is is by far the craziest fucking drug I've ever done, and I only recently did it a year ago. That was right. the first time I ever tried it, and that's a whole other episode. It's like multiple episodes because uh, oh, I'll just say now. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Cole, either, but like ketamine literally fucking saved my life not not being sensationalist i mean i i did like a i I wasn't like a fucking festival or something but uh i I was prescribed ketamine for like we were talking about telehealth covid they they made it really easy to get prescribed ketamine for depression anyways long story short i was prescribed like a six session treatment just absolutely beautiful results it it makes me kind of tear up just thinking because i (laughs) You've no longer you've discontinued your use of Wellbutrin since then, right? I have, yeah. I, I don't take any psych meds at all except for you know uh, Adderall when I can get it, and then I don't take it every day either. But yeah, I mean, and I and that wasn't even my my plan. I mean, it, I I don't think I it even crossed my mind. I thought maybe I would be able to maybe cut back or something, but like. Bro, I was on Wellbutrin for like 10 years. And then the last like three years, on top of that, I, I added Prozac. And when I was living in Taiwan, I was on a massive amount of benzos. Right. Uh, and, and drinking like a fish. And yeah, and I, when, I, when I came back here, I was still taking Wellbutrin, like 300 milligrams and uh, Prozac. And then I was taking like a milligram of Clonopin a day. Yeah, it's just like blows my fucking mind. I mean, I, I just... Like it wasn't the plan, and and because of my living situation, I I couldn't refill, um, in within a few days or whatever. And I was like, oh, I'll just see what happens. And still waiting for the other shoe to drop. But uh, uh that was uh, back in uh, September. So it's a pretty good solid like three or four months of data. And nothing's like fucking perfect by any means. And my life's pretty. Uh, <laughs> Not exactly a dream life in any way. Right. Yeah, that is, I mean, that's not nothing. Um, Like I right now swear by Wellbutrin and you used to be the same way. I did. And like, I still do. Like, I I still swear by it. It it worked for me in a major way, especially for for my kind of depression. Dysthymia or dysthymia, however you pronounce it, kind of just this ever-present, low-lying disinterest Malaise. In things. Malaise, yeah, it's a mel- melancholic depression, you can call it like that, as opposed to uh, anxious depression, which, right. of course, we all experience both, you know, but, like, kind of chronically speaking, I, I kind of had this, this low-level dysthymia, which some days are better than worse, uh, than others, obviously, but the point is, like, um, the, the Wellbutrin just does such an amazing job at, at stimulating activity in, in, the, in the brain that kind of makes it makes you able to kind of get interested in things again. That seems um, like a very accurate description. And I know for me, I mean, I've been on it since 2008 and it make I believe it has made me way more 
better focused, much more capable in social situations, which used to trouble me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely has, uh, it's kind of the famous, famously, it has a lot of stimulating properties. And so therefore, I I think it has an added benefit for, for people who have attention deficit issues as well. Because for me, it's that ability to kind of get interested in things kind of helps you build up some scaffolding, right? So you can kind of start building interest and get the just, I don't know, something about the brain, getting the brain to start making more and new connections, right? Being engaged. Just something beautiful about that. Yes, being engaged with things, you know, I mean, that's what being interested in things is all about, is uh, engaging with them. And uh, in order to do that, you have to at least be a little bit interested in them. I think (laughs) a lot of times something that should be interesting to you if you're depressed or otherwise um, challenged, it isn't, you know? It's, It's stimulation and it's also like engagement with something that's meaningful to you or at least has some kind of like clear purpose like not to get too like uh in the weeds you know like in in the weeds here but uh i mean i think a large part like it's clear to me that a large part of people dealing with substance abuse is due to our like materialist conditions living in america you know in capitalism in 2023 and like and i think a lot of people have this experience in recovery um, or with addiction where they get to a point where they want to make a change they have an earnest desire to want to make a change and so and so they're able to sit through the the discomfort and the pain and the uncertainty and everything of of withdrawal of of abstinence right people will go through this process willingly some people are more brave than others you know as far as like cold turkey or chaining yourself to a bed or you know whatever whatever you have to do but the point is like people make an earnest effort and in my experience i know for sure like when i would kind of start edging my way back into straight life just had no fucking sense of of purpose at all or like any kind of engagement with things it just felt incredibly flat and like terribly confusing and you know aa and 12-step programs obviously have a have a place in that for that but uh, i recently heard somebody call it like uh like everybody kind of needs a mission right and uh i think this is on like on chapo or something they were talking about how when you get out of rehab they should give you a like a side quest or like a mission like in a video game you know so that you have something like you have something that you can hold in your hand and see and be like, I have to do this for this reason. Oh, yeah. And this is meaningful. It's like it's like getting kicked out or getting like kicked out of rehab and thrown into some kind of like a halfway house situation where you're, you know, you're you're working on at Best Buy. It's just you understand I, I can, what I mean. I do know what you mean. And I think I could explain it a little bit when you. Because it seems so it seems so obvious when I try to like. Explain this, but there is something very specific that I think is a big problem with trying to get clean in America in this day and time and age. If, if you're if you're an active drug user or abuser, you're really a drug addict. You're that by definition means that's like your mission, and it becomes your mission just to get these things mm, that you need exactly. And then when yes. you when you don't have that mission. You, you have to fill, fulfill, first of all, there's all this time 
now. Exactly. You have. That's a huge, like, just reality, right? Yeah. And then previously, and depending upon how long you've been, you know, uh, active drug addict, your engagement with society will change, obviously, because you're not just going through it to get what you need or to make the money you need, whatever it is that you had to do, and then wherever you had to go to be high, that you're not doing that anymore. So what are you going to do? 12-step helps, helps a little bit with that. It, it gives you what they call a program for, for life. Yeah, But, but the, that's, the, that's the flatness. The working with other people thing. Is working with other, the, yes, the, uh, that, the service. The whole thing about, about getting outside of yourself, that's that's exactly what you kind of need. And I, I, I think that's something that uh, David Sanchez explores well in this book, which we'll get into in a minute here, about how purpose-driven the life of an addict is in an active addiction. Yes. And how getting into recovery can be a, you know, a huge challenge because living in like late cap, living in late capitalism during, you know, a play, an internal plague is just not conducive for improving your mental health. And one last thing I'll say to wrap this, this whole thing up. And I, I realized the what started this for me is the the famous like lab rat cocaine addict study where we're doing all these studies on addiction and they would put these rats in a cage by themselves with nothing except for a bowl of food, like a pellet dispenser and a cocaine dispenser. And they did this with all other drugs as well. And the this this cat or this rat would choose the drugs over food. And it got to a point where it like if, if I think if the, the rat could only choose one or the other, they would just choose the narcotic to the point where they would just kill themselves. And then I, I can't remember the name and I should have prepped this, but another researcher decided to to uh, replicate replicate the study, but they would create an actual reality-based social life for the subjects in the study. So the rat, yeah, it would have the bowl of the food and the cocaine or the heroin or whatever, but it would also have in the room a bunch of other rats, a bunch of other toys, you know, room for for them to socialize and to play and everything, and generally just have like a a, a normal rat life. And, other, uh, other possibilities. Yeah, and, and I think this is... This, you know, it's probably pretty obvious now, but the, the rats have like way less problem with any of the substance abuse. They, they weren't able to replicate all these previous studies where the rats were, were killing themselves with the coke. Uh, I just think that's a really good analogy of what I'm kind of saying here about how you kind of need a, a purpose driven life to really succeed in your earnest attempt at recovery. Yes. So now we are talking about All Day is a Long Time, 2022, novel by David Sanchez. Debut novel. Debut novel, yeah. So I didn't think this was a novel. Like, my experience reading it was was reading it very much like a memoir. Uh, basically, the, the short synopsis of this book is it's a story about this young man's uh, experience through... Uh, methamphetamine, cocaine, and opiate addiction uh, over the span of about, I don't know, do you say like 10 years, it, roughly? I think it's 10 years. Um, and I mean, he talks about his childhood a lot, but it kind of really is like the story from him from like 20, from like 14 to, to maybe 25 or 26, it sounds like. Yes, 
Yes. Basically reads like a memoir to me. I, you told me that you, you read it and it, you said after the wrestling part, you felt like it was uh, clearly a novel, but I never got any clearly fictional stuff from it. It all seemed very plausible, if not like tidy in its chronology. chronology. It, it certainly reads like a memoir and, and most of it, could all it could all be true, um, except that uh, after the part where he, he really gets into the like his his wrestling history, which I thought was really interesting. Um, yeah, by the, just by he was the, way. A, the character is is a total like you know outsider, bad student, but this PE teacher or whatever finds out that he's really really good at wrestling. And and his PE teacher is like, or this the wrestling coach is like this. He's not a a PE teacher actually. He's a geometry teacher, and because he understands geometry so well, he can use he can leverage <laughs> leverage that information to uh, to use that with wrestling, which is all about angles, leveraging different positions, and understanding that it was all very fascinating kind of intellectual stuff, but. It's a really amazing chapter. He talks about how he is kind of groomed for this thing and and does really well, and then gets to like such a high level where he kind of he kind of loses interest or he kind of realizes he's not so going to make a career out of it. Yeah, he he's a raw talent, uh, skilled wrestler, and yeah, the wrestling coach grooms him, and he does really well, and then he meets that one guy, like the top guy who he just has mm-hmm. I thought that was like that was the the prose there is really great I think and and definitely geometry is used and but yeah he meets the top guy and he can't beat him he actually the other guy is just incredibly good and um and then that is more or less the end of his wrestling career I think that he talks about how then he gets into um drinking and doing benzos and he just kind of falls off um he never well he kind of he had he already makes been it back. he kind of was already fucking around before that and getting getting into shit. And then he kind of has this little, like, brief kind of oasis kind of period or whatever where he's... Yes. He's actually, like, has, like, a purpose-driven life, and he's really uh, focused, and he's good at what he's doing. He's and good at what he's doing. He's able yes. to intellectualize it and kind of really, like, inside and out mentally and, and physically... Uh, just really sink his teeth into it. Uh, and I, I almost think like almost maybe that is him. Like that's, that's kind of the stuff that's more fiction um, than some of the other stuff. Some of the other more like crazy shit uh, like him, you know, like mugging yuppies um, with the, with the, old the, syringes and shit. The purse, the purse snatching chapter, which was, which is pretty great cool. chapter, which is pretty cool. Yeah. You know, the latitude that you get with fiction to, you know, not have to worry about portraying things as accurately as you remember them, but being able to just embellish them or whatever, uh, change them with your right. imagination. And, and yeah, it reads, like it reads mixed... you, you can read it like it's true. I mean, it, like I, it took me half the book to think, oh, wait a right. minute, wait a minute, this is fiction. <laughs> like yeah, I mean, and it's like I don't. It's funny because I just don't think. Like I know it's especially nowadays. It's all very vague that those distinctions, yes. uh, especially as like the memoir kind of 
has reached a, I don't know, it's kind of become like a, an extremely Baroque, but but still mainstream kind of art form. But anyways, like there, there's a way to kind of tell the story in more of a cinematic fashion by being a bit more flexible with chronology. Like I was saying, like basically I feel like there's like a cha- there's chapters in the book where he condenses uh, maybe like a five year period into like one summer um, and he yeah. kind of just picks all of the the real poignant bits and and kind of puts them in a kind of um, in its own original pattern. So it kind of has like a a traditional three act structure. Sure, um, and that, I think that's cool. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And I think about it a lot actually as I work on my own memoir and kind of the the literary kind of freedom that you have with that. Yes, yes. Selling it as a work of fiction like a giant wink basically right yeah. right this is fiction but you can tell by reading it that it's highly autobiographical uh let's talk about the opening yeah. scene because that's what really sure. hooked, me, hooked me he's he's 16 and he's like i think he's in key west he's somewhere like that and he's going ostensibly to see a girl and he's walking around and he befriends some character who says hey come over here I want to show you something. And so he goes with them and the guy, I think hustles him out of some money and takes him to, I think this is it. I don't have the book in front of me, but as I recall it, and then he goes to a trailer and it's this guy and this, uh, kind of, I guess he describes her as, as, you know, a a fat lady in a swimsuit and they're smoking crack and he's only 16, but two. And like, that's the other thing is like, he started really young. Yeah. I mean, yeah. at least to like, me. Like, not started using, but, like, out on the street, like, getting paid to, like, get sucked off by some old dude kind of shit. Something, yeah, yeah. I thought that was a, <laughs> something I was going to touch on um, was how he kept kept that ambiguous. But so yeah. he, he smokes, he yeah. smokes, in the in the narrative, he smokes, he smokes crack with them, and then instantly it becomes this kind of like this poetic kind of thing and we're not we're left with mostly imagining him with this slimy guy and some lady in a swimsuit and they're all getting high on crack and he's probably there's probably some sort of sexual um thing going on but that's what well, I like. there's clearly yeah i kind of liked that he didn't he didn't spell it out too uh specifically i guess i like that he kind of left it to his imagination but just suggested that something was going on and that's he did that throughout the book mm-hmm. um and i think that really lends it's a very dreamy, dreamy dreamy kind of interior life that you get to inhabit reading this he's a very like intellectual like unabashedly like intellectual person the book is just filled with literary references um almost like on every page he's he's referencing faulkner or that's uh, right he i forgot about that he really he 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 actually lists like the books that he suggests you read for whatever the certain drugs that you're on like he said paradise lost is great if you're shooting methamphetamine um, I forget. Oh my what God! I'll, yeah, <laughs> I, ha- I have that section actually right here. Well, you're looking for that. Um, the yeah, yeah. you know the the hypersexuality that occurs when you're super high on you know stimulants. I thought that he did a real good job of uh, 
getting into that without being too specific. So the guy is obviously a, a smart fucking dude, and and in in like a in a book way, right? I mean, he's I think he's got a lot of physical intelligence, but I mean, he's just he's very into ideas and and thoughts. And anyways, here I really like this this part here. He talks in the first the prologue. He says, "Good books for junkies. Read Dante. Read Moby Dick while you're high. Get lost in the chapters." that luxuriate on the different kinds of rope and how to tie knots. Read notes from the underground, Ellison's Invisible Man, if you're withdrawing. The Waves, or Faulkner, if you haven't slept in a few days. Mostly, don't go north of 1950. Stay away from the beatniks. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And memoirs are whiny. Especially, don't read those books about rock stars. It'll just piss you off because of how broke you are. Train spotting is pretty good. But heroin is for suicidal teens. If you've got enough meth to last for a while, give Paradise Lost a run. Paradise Lost a run. See if that does anything for you. Yeah, so I just love, like, uh, I really love the whole, like, intellectual junkie trope. And, like, it's a, a theme. It's, like, an identity that I've, like, deeply latched onto over the years. And I know how, like, how childish that kind of uh, idea of, of self is, but... um I do think it's it's rich with with a lot of uh, kind of comedic and also like profound observations. I, I've it's it's, it's like some of the best thing I've read in like a decade for sure. It was it was it's right up there. Um, I think at the book is certainly poignant. It's sad, but it's it's very. He does a good job of of not making it like sentimental. Uh, it's not sentimental. It's not nostalgic, and it's rewarding. You know, even when it when it does get to the point where he he does actually find stability and he finds recovery, he kind of keeps that whole like weird, dreamy kind of interior life going. That really charming stuff. Charming. But I, I did charming. have want to talk a lot about um, his his ability to describe the experience of being strung out on, especially on amphetamines. What did you think about that as, as somebody? I, I've def- definitely done my fair share of, of meth, but what did you think about that as somebody who's kind of more into it than me? Um, so I thought that he did a, a very good job. And in particular, it's, I think it's three quarters of the way through the book. He really, it's kind of the chapter that mm-hmm. I think it's a chapter or two where it's the one that where he's mostly doing, he's mostly injecting speed. And, um, it's, yeah, I got a section. Uh, and, and it gets it gets pretty poetic. Uh, but there's this guy who's clearly who's like who's like a great illustration of the kind of person you meet when you're doing a lot of speed. And it's this kind of wingnut <laughs> fanatic, uh, kind of almost neo-Nazi type of character who lives in a trailer, like on in, in the book. He lives in like a trailer on oh some God. like out in the, the I don't know where. His dealer lives out in a trailer park, and he's always talking about uh, chemtrails and perfect yes. asses. Yes, that's it. That's it. And I thought that was really well done. He keeps going back to the trailer, and things are just getting weirder and weirder. He's like, he hasn't gotten any sleep. He keeps doing more speed, and then he goes back to wherever he lives. And he, he it's like this whole chapter there, and I thought that's really good, good well done. You know, it, it, reading it, you really get the feeling of someone who's, who's getting got strong. a section here. So, so he talks about, so there's this part where he, he talks about how he's, he's 
coordinates on a on a x y axis yes and he kind of goes back to his geometry thing and so he's like i i i live at this trailer that i broke uh, this, this in this you know tool shed that i've broken into at my friend's house that's zero zero uh the library where i go jerk off at 16 hours a day is you know one six uh the trailer park out outside of town uh is you know so so this party says I go back and buy ice on the raised trailer, 6-4, and I think about pulling the gun on the cook as he rambles about chemtrails and perfect asses. I go back to the library and wake the, the computer from its screenscaver dreams. I let the blue light mirror the blue light in my mind. Let the porn reflect the porn in my head, jumping genres and traveling down the hyperlink holes of my brain, pregnant, trans, gay, straight, old, young, amateur, I go to the bathroom and smear Neurosporin on my scraped dick, take off my busted shoes, and smear Lotrimin on my toes, itching under a blanket of fungus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah, so he, I think he really just nails some of the, the really just some of the, the more profound horrors of... <laughs> Of stimulant and and sex addiction, porn addiction. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's good. Um, I mean, that's I mean that's my experience with methamphetamine. A lot of pornography, and then you meet a lot of uh, you meet a lot of people that you would not want to hang out with otherwise, and you don't want to hang out with them then. But but there they are. They're the ones that are sitting on the. What does he talk about uh, um, about his relation with with drugs and sex? Like, there's this. There's yeah no there's a narrative where he's talking where he has to reveal like he's he's writing out it's one of the exercises he's doing in recovery and he has here he says drugs and sex had fused into two sides of the same thing whenever I was high I wanted to jack off or have sex not sweet backseat of the car sex like my girlfriend wanted to have but something else something uglier and whenever I did that I wanted to be high I always tried to time it up as best as I could so that right when I was feeling as high as possible, I could come and it would push me just a little bit higher. Yeah. Right. I remember that, man. I used to, I remember like in high school when I first kind of discovered nitrous and I would, uh, (laughs) I would do fucking nitrous balloons while I was fucking jerking off and I would like time it so that I would come right, right when I, I took a pull off the balloon and it was... I mean, it was like heroin. It really was. Wow, that's done it, done it yet, but it's pretty good. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> but that's kind, that's kind of brain I got, dude. Like, and I really related with this with this guy's uh, this character's brain and and just how <laughs> how uh, there's one part. I think there's one point. Remember, he talks about how he was when he was a kid. He would play hide and go seek. But he was like really, really good at hiding. Yes. And and one time his friend he saw his friends and while he was hiding and they were looking for him and they were like, Oh fuck, we're never gonna find him. That fucking freak. Wasn't <laughs> it wasn't it that he 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 saw a nativity scene? I think that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> and so he like kneels down like he's one of the three wise men or something, and they walk right by him. I think that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He he does it, but they're they're just like he's such such a freak. And I actually I I thought to myself recently, I was 
doing some nefarious scheming and and I just came up with this idea that was like just so over the top and I was like man why are you so devious <laughs> like just like just like the way that he's just incredibly talented at finding the best most efficient ways at fucking his life up <laughs> I mean thinking about it I really wish I had the book in front of me because there's definitely there's definitely um, amateur move, Cole. This is a podcast, <laughs> right? Uh, I checked it I'm out. He was devious, certainly, and he was charming in the book. The character's certainly devious, uh, but like the chapter that you, the part about the Kim Trail guy, the perfect ass guy, that was clearly like fictionalized. Like you, he, oh yeah, he didn't jack off in the library for sixteen hours, but we all kind of we got like when you read it, you really get. I think a savvy reader or someone who just, if you enjoy the book, you'll understand really what he's saying. Yeah. I mean, he, I didn't really mean to make too much of a a point or a fuss about, you know, is it real or fiction or whatever, but I just, I just thought it was interesting because that was actually one of the first early things he told me about the book is like, it's fiction. Uh, But clearly the man knows the, the writer, not the character, the writer clearly knows what's going on in the head of an addict. And uh, because of these things, we salute you, David Sanchez. You are uh, no war stories. First book review. We should get, uh, we should, you should come on the show, David. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love it. We'd love to have you. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Thank you, Cole. It was a pleasure, Jules. You can email us at no war stories at gmail.com. And see you next time. Never. Bye-bye. Ask me to stop drinking.